This is Series 4 of Brave New Girl Podcast. I'm Lou Hamilton, artist and author of Brave New Girl, How to Be Fearless, Fearless, and my latest book, Dare to Share, helping you become an awesome guest on podcasts, raise your visibility, and attract new audiences into your world. I welcome you here to stories of real-life Brave New Girls who share with you how they found purpose and courage on the roller coaster journey of entrepreneurship and creative enterprise. This week's guest is Dominique Rucker, the entrepreneurial publisher and CEO of Sourcebooks, which has won every award for innovation in the publishing industry, has created scores of New York Times bestsellers and hundreds of national bestsellers, and is the largest woman-owned book publisher in the United States of America. Welcome, Dominique, to Brave New Girl Podcast. Hi, Dominique. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Lou? I'm really good. It's really lovely to see you. I think we missed each other when I came out to the States with Brave New Girl to your publishing house, didn't I? I I think so, yes. But it's such a pleasure to see you. Yeah, really great for us to finally connect. So I'm wondering, you know, we've had a couple of years of this global pandemic, nearly two years. And for book publishing, that has been a sort of hugely tumultuous time. Publishing a book, very much part of it was always the book tour and authors going on tour to talk about their books, run workshops, go into bookshops, do signings. And so suddenly when the pandemic hit, all of that had to stop. And so I wonder how did you at Source Books manage to adapt and how did you encourage the authors to keep going? You know, it, I think that um, we were really lucky because we've always been a very entrepreneurial company. So so very quickly, our IT department had us live in all sorts of ways that, that allowed us to work from home and made a huge difference. I mean, it really did. It, it was extraordinary how quickly they had people, you know, able to work. What was particularly challenging and continues to be challenging is the effect of the pandemic on both the supply chain as well as the retailing ecosystem. And so our retail partners really struggled enormously um, during this time. And, and of course, author touring, author you know, creating virtual events out of what had been, you know, previous person events and, and, you know, things like literary festivals or, you know, book shows or book tours or, or, you know, we were just literally over this weekend, we were at what is typically for the independent booksellers Winter Institute for Children's Books called Children's Institute for all the indie booksellers. And I mean, it's just, it doesn't quite work in the same way as a virtual event, as it, you know, where authors have an opportunity to interact with booksellers and where authors have an opportunity to really make known their their works. So, yes, we adapted very well, much more challenging for our colleagues who are on the retail front. And have you found that sort of conversely, the fact that you all have been able to be online, that actually authors have been able to reach a wider audience as a result of that? It looks like that. It looks like um, a number of, so there are things that are not working at all. Like that used to be a huge part of our ecosystem. And again, I'm going to point to children's books where, for example, school visits 
used to be, I mean, they're like at the heart of, you know, what happens to kids' books when you're launching them. So that part continues to be challenging. But then there's this other world that got opened, right? Which is the world of, well, what happens if I don't need to be in the same room with you? What happens if we can actually, so we held, for example, an event for E.L. James where we had a thousand people show up from around the world, you know, um, to launch her new book, Freed. And it was like incredible. And if you read the chat on that event, it made you weep, you know? And there were like, we had, we did it um, using a platform that rock concerts use because it's amazing when you're working with her. So um, we had rooms for Indigo, which is our Canadian retailer. And we had rooms for our Barnes and Noble, which is our U.S., was the U.S. sponsor. Um, and it was incredible. I mean, you could, and you saw this whole community of fans of, of E.L. James coming together to really celebrate the, you know, the work that she had done and, and, and the publication of her new book. So, so, you know, the, the door that closes opens the, uh, opens, opened a very different one. And we found ourselves, all of us, I think, the whole book community, discovering the ways to reach, new ways to reach readers that made a difference for authors. And I wonder whether that's the same with, with children, that yes, there hasn't been the sort of face-to-face interaction with authors, but they are very tech literate, aren't they? And so sort of that access to, to authors as children, I wonder whether that has been something that has... hasn't worked as well, you know, because I think partly because we're on screen so much right now, right? And so adults have, you know, kind of a greater willingness to just be on screens for, you know, for something that you, you want to do. But kids are doing a lot of their learning this way. And, and so we're not quite yet having, um, having a strong an effect for particularly, I would say, for things like children's books, right? Where you used to have story times where bookstores were doing, you know, just people in front of a, right? Like, you know, like this, right? Um, and and we're not we're, we're not really getting that right now for for kids. So more to do on that front. So taking you back to your childhood, how did you find books, and were they sort of something that you were passionate about right from the beginning? You know, I I really wasn't until I moved to the United States. So I moved to the United States when I was about eight. And I, I didn't speak any English. And at the same time, my parents were going through this incredibly turbulent, you know, moving countries, right? Um, and so, so I had the double of the double of experience of you know not having any of my community around, not having any of my family around, and also not knowing the language. And um, and the good luck that I had was to discover the library. I was not a voracious reader. I was, in fact, not a reader at all, I would say. Um, and then we came to the U.S. Didn't, I didn't really speak English. And my parents, my mother just sort of dropped me off at the library as a babysitting device. I think it was her approach a bit. And all of a sudden, I you know, started finding language, started finding books, started finding ways of communicating. And then 
and then really lost myself in books for the rest of, of that time, I think. And were there sort of mentors or people that sort of helped you into that kind of whole storytelling world? Of course. I was incredibly lucky to have, and I honestly don't remember this guy's last name. I had a, I think it was a seventh grade or eighth grade teacher who read short stories aloud. And he was an incredible reader. I mean, and he read um, Ray Bradbury's short stories. And the first book I ever bought with my own babysitting money was Ray Bradbury's short stories. And it was incredible to me. I mean, it was just like he took you, because first of all, short stories, incredibly right? I mean, you, you get them so quickly. And, and, and these stories are, if you haven't read Ray Bradbury's short stories, I urge them on everyone. I don't publish any of them. And you get, you really found yourself lost in this world and lost in this moment. And, and I had been a reader up to that time. And when I had that experience, I became a voracious reader. I became that kid who always had four books in their backpack and was, you know, when not working or doing homework, was the kid who was lost in a book. And and I became that child and I became that adult and it became my life. And what was it about reading a book, the sort of getting lost in another world, that kind of transportation of, of your imagination or of other people's thinking and their insights or their, their way of seeing the world? What was it that sort of pulled you in? I think I have always been really interested in worlds I don't know. I mean, I'm just fascinated by, and you see that in our publishing program, by the way, that I am just really interested personally interested in like a story I've never heard before. Tell me a story I don't, I have not heard yet, you know? And (laughs) Todd likes to say, our our, um, senior vice president, editorial director likes to say, you read like, I read so broadly in comparison to most, most people are pretty narrow in their reading, but I, you know, I tend to be like all things. um, And it, really is for me about being transported to a worldview that I have never really fully understood. So, so again, another book I don't publish, I've just finished Sherry Tepper's Grass, which is a book that was published a long time ago. I made my husband read it because I was like, I have to talk about this book. So you need to read it. And it was, I mean, it was an absolutely wild view of what an alien society might actually look like. I'm completely wild and gave you such a rich interpretation about the possibilities for ways that human beings might connect and human and non-human might connect. That was just really fascinating. Like, oh, I had never seen a story like that before. So the other thing that was true of my life is that I lived in a very, I would say, rigidly conservative community that had a very limited point of view about what women could become. It was very, I mean, it was very clear. You were you were getting married, you were getting married young, you were going to have a lot of kids, you know, and, and you were going to take care of your kids and your husband, and that was basic work. And, which is, by the way, 
I, I ended up doing all of that. That was awesome. I think it, I, I wholeheartedly recommend doing that for, for human beings um, to find a partner and to have a family. Yay. I found that I wanted something more than that in my life. And I think one of the things that I was looking for in books was a way of being that would allow for that, right? So I was in search of as a, I would say as an adolescent, as a teen, as a, you know, as what we now call new adult, I was really looking for like, okay, are there other ways of being for women beyond the one that, you know, that is so evident in my community? And I will admit and have fully admitted to many people that Anais Nin's diaries completely changed my life. So if you have not read the diaries, and, and this was before anybody knew that Nin wrote erotica. So let me just be clear that at the time that I was reading Nin, we didn't know that she had had an affair with her, her father. That she, I mean, none of the really kind of interesting Nin facts were known about Nin at that time. But what I loved about Nin was her life was so much larger, right, than anything that I had ever, that I had seen in my world. And I saw that as a, a way of being that I found really exciting. So that curiosity and sense of expansiveness, could you feel that propel you into adulthood? And, and did you know where to take that, that kind of force of energy? Not really. And, and I'm not sure it kind of works like that, right? I think, I think at least in my life, it's very accidental, right? I, I had the good luck of, so I've, I skipped a number of grades, despite not being a native English speaker. I, sp- I skipped like two grades. And so ended up in college at 16, failed out of college, right? Like, because you're 16 years old and you really aren't, you know, good at a lot of things. So it didn't do, and um and then got another shot at it. You know, I was, I think it was my third year in college. I got a chance to go to University of Illinois, Chicago Circle. And, um, and basically got a do-over on college because I was now a little bit more adult and a little bit. And, and to be clear, you know, I was supporting myself. So I, I had three jobs trying to make it through school and paying for all this. And um, I met Nancy Hirschberg, who became my mentor and who took an interest in me. And, and it really just is like when somebody takes an interest in you, right? Like, and says, you, you could do a bunch of things. Let me help you to do that next thing, whatever that next. And, um, and Nancy, I became, I became her research assistant and then ended up going to graduate school in her field. And from there, built a, a completely different life for myself. And so was it quite soon after that you you got into publishing, into the world of books? Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. I was a graduate student in uh, psychometrics, in mathematical psychology. So, uh, so math and I are friends and fell madly in love with the man who I ended up and, and who I, I built a life with. And he was not movable. And so the career choice that I had made, which was to become an academic, became non, not possible because academics need to go wherever there are jobs. And so that career choice was no longer viable. And at that point, I had the very good fortune of having a, of an advisor in Larry Jones 
who, who said, okay, people like us, you know, they use people like us in marketing because I was doing math modeling of decisions, like how people make decisions. That's the stuff I was working on. And he said, so maybe you could go into marketing. Like maybe they could find a job for you in marketing. So I applied to, I applied to all of two jobs and I got both of them and did a complete 180 on what I thought was going to be my career and went to work for Leo Burnett um, in marketing. And those seven years turned out to be fundamental to the publishing company I ended up building. So Sourcebooks, our publishing company, it's a very marketing-centric organization. And it is actually one of the things that's really different about it is we treat we tend to tr- we treat authors as if they were brands from an advertising marketing perspective and that changes the whole equation that you end up with so when people keep seeing the numbers we put up like because they they do they comment on like how do you guys keep getting these numbers we don't understand it really is from having a point of view that's author centric and that's author focused from a marketing perspective, right? So then then you're thinking about this from a very different place than you might think about it if you were were coming from a background that is a strictly publishing background. Like we don't have any publishing background. So when you decided that you were going to start a publishing company, what precipitated it? And did you have any experience? You know, you you did it from your bedroom. It was like really like just... Insane, totally insane. (laughs) So there are two things that I can tell you about this. The first is that the vision I had for the publishing company we were going to have, we were going to create was not at all correct. So to all of the people who listen to your podcast and who think that they have to know the right answer in order to take that first step, my life is a complete counterexample of that just just letting you know. (laughs) That is just not how I think it actually works. So you take that first step and you discover something new. And then you take that next step and you'll discover something yet again that's different than what you believed. I thought I was starting a financial services publication company because we were in the midst of banking deregulation. And so I thought, oh, yes, Bankers, they're going to need all this new information, research information. I'm going to provide it to them. It's going to be great. Turns out, A, bankers don't read very much. (laughs) So the whole thing was wrong. I mean, it was just, I could not be more wrong. However, again, Nin, and I will point to Nin, I had wanted to be in publishing since I was probably 18 years old, since I was failing out of college. And I had wanted it because... When I was reading Nin, and I still remember this, in one of her diaries, she's having this incredible love affair with Henry Miller, right? And they're both broke, both broke and starving as one would on a, uh, you know, on a boat in the Seine, of course, as one might. And Nin says at that, at one point in her diaries, she says, And so I wrote Alan Swallow. And Swallow was an independent book publisher in Chicago, actually. And it's, I think, the whole damn thing 
is like three sentences, Lou. I mean, it's like it's like this tiny moment in, by the way, I think there were at that time seven diaries, right? Like that I had read. But I think it's like a half a paragraph, right? And in there, I saw life. And what I saw was I didn't have to be a writer, but I could be of service. Mm. And that, I think, has been sort of the fundamental goal. Goal is too strong, is, is not the right word. I think it's the fundamental meaning of my life. Like it's actually the thing I'm trying to do, you know, is to, is to be of service to creative people who are so much, like they do something that's so courageous, right? Like they, they face a blank page. It's extraordinarily, to me, insanely creative and courageous. I, I, I can't imagine it, right? And, and create a world for you. I want to be of use. How can I be of use? So this is what I, this was actually, I think, the goal for me. And did you start to feel that emerge as you were sitting in your bedroom starting this this publishing company? Did it start to kind of feel like, oh, I'm going, I need to go in a different direction here? Yeah. So when I did the banking books, it was really interesting. So when I did the banking books, it was just hard. Like it was, it was unrelentingly hard. And and one day I got a phone call from a friend of mine who who was mentoring me who was an entrepreneur. He had been successful as an entrepreneur. And I was complaining, right? Like I just had a complaint after a complaint after a complaint. And he said to me, you know, Dominique, it's just not that hard. Find something that has heart for you. About, I get a phone call from, um, from, two, from an author who says, we've written a trade book. It's a, it's a business trade book. It belongs in bookstores. We want you to publish it. And I was like, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm a professional publisher. I do banking books. I don't know anything about this. And he said, yes, but you're the best marketer I've ever spoken to in my entire career. And he had at that, that point done, I don't know, 12 books or something. And he said, and I've talked to my co-author and we've agreed like, if you'll market this, we're on. And so I remember walking around the block with my husband and saying, it's a complete do-over. Like, I start over. N- nothing I've done is of any use. <laughs> and he said, are you going to be happier? And I said, yeah, I think this is actually the thing I was meant to do. And he said, oh, well, you should do that. <laughs> And, you know, it's never felt like work since then. Like, it, I mean, there have been hard days. It's not that there haven't been hard days. This pandemic has been brutal. I mean, it's been one of the most brutal things for, for the people that I work with, for the authors I work with, for our retail partners. It's just been unbelievable how hard this has been. You know, for our, our, the folks who are in warehouses, who, who are moving that supply chain around, who have to shift it on a daily basis, Unbelievable has been, but it is not the same kind of work, right? As when you're pushing a boulder of something you don't really care about uphill. And so you've you've always been innovative from right from the beginning of this journey. And one of the things was 
not moving your publishing house to New York, which was sort of the center of of where publishing was. And, and, you know, probably at that time as, you know, if you weren't there, you weren't anywhere. So, so quite courageous to kind of decide, no, I'm going to stay here and, and start it here. And, and how did you kind of make inroads then? How did you expand the publishing world to you? I got so lucky in so many ways, Lou. I mean, it was just really, I, I had a lot of people believe in me at the right moment. And I think that is really important. So as you're talking about bravery and courage, having people believe in you in that moment when you have doubt, right, is so essential. So that book that I told you about, that was the first trade book I did, we actually got a, we got coverage in the Wall Street Journal for that book, right? I mean, they covered it, even though I was a complete indie and I made friends with the guy who was covering it. And as a result, Crocs and Brentano's, which was a chain at that time in, in Chicago, took it into all their stores. And that funded my next four books of printing. And, you know, I mean, it's just like that, right? You just sort of build, we've, this was a time when people did not fund women. So there was no money for me to, you know, to, 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 I had to take mortgages on my house to fund print runs. And I mean, it was really quite gutsy. Remy says, it's, my husband says it's very gutsy. You know, um, I think at some point you believe, but what I believed in was always ideas that were bigger than mine. Like I, I, I'm not a real believer in me at all. I'm a real believer in I'm a real believer in Marianne Richmond and her book Be Brave Little Ones. So if you have a kid having a hard time, there's a book that will make a difference. And it's Marianne Richmond's Be Brave Little One. You know, if you and I'm a believer, right? You can tell as soon as I start talking about it, right? That that, you know, and I think we've sold four million Marianne books, right? Because we believe in her, right? So one of the people that I got to work with was a, was a guy named Michael Malone, who, whose novels I got to publish and whose novels I still publish. And as a result of the, the work that we did publishing Michael Malone, his agent, Sterling Lord, gave us the opportunity to publish a book by Ted Fisk called The Fisk Guide to Colleges. The time that I published that book, Ted's book was like the number four or five college guide in the country. Today, it is 70% of the college guides sold in the United States. So that opportunity came because of the good work that we had done on Michael's books. That's kind of how I, I saw it evolving, was really each time you did something that worked, or that was useful to people, people talked about it and told one another about it. So it wasn't really you making, you know, a sales pitch. It was really other people saying to them, hey, have you know, have you guys seen what these people are up to? And on the side of that, you're building a business. So you're having to be very entrepreneurial, which I presume you had no background in in that. And so you were having to learn not only Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God. So, so for three years or four years, I fought accounting. Like I was like, and now, and it's really interesting, like the day you give it up, right? So that's really important. The day you give up that thing 
that you believe, like you are stuck on, right? That it's like, oh my God, this thing, you know, I'm never going to get it. I'm not good at accounting, blah, blah, whatever it is, your story, whatever your story might look like, right? The day you give that up, I now teach classes in finance for, um, for publishing executives. I'm expert. I am like world-class in finance for book publishing, really, right? So like the day you give that up and start. So what I did was I took a, I went to the local community college, like literally two miles from here and accounting 101 at night, you bet. And so as you're growing and expanding and getting books out into the world and, you know, you're, you're having to grow your premises and the people. And so how do you manage all of that as it was growing? I, again, I, um, so one of the things that's really different, I think, when you're an entrepreneurial company is your vision on learning, right? One of the things I understood fairly early on was that I was the cap on the growth of the company. And so fairly early on, I got a coach and now I have two of them and I've had two coaches for, I don't know, 15 years at this point in my life. So I have a business coach and a personal coach. So yeah, I get a lot of coaching and I actually bring coaching into our organization and I bring training into our organization. I bring learning into our organization. I think the only way that we can grow businesses into with the amount of dynamic change that we have in the ecosystem today is to actually, A, be willing to change ourselves but also be willing to help one another change. And have you found that as you've grown, that those things within yourself, that you that you face more things as you as you get bigger? And so it's like you think that you've you've yeah. covered everything, and then something else. Comes. Oh God, no, 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 no. You know, you. Well, first of all, I mean, you've all human beings. You've got you've got a set of triggers, right? That that just immediately, like right away, get you to you know, to, to a very stuck place, right? Whatever that trigger might look like for you, you really want to be working on that part. But you are also kind of, you know, evolving your own mindset, right? And, and, and so you hit that new plateau and then you've got to kind of find what that next step is for yourself. You've won many, many awards for innovation. And so that's the same with the business then, isn't it? Constantly finding where the stuck places are and, and how you how you evolve out of that. And so what does innovation mean to you in terms of the business? Look, to some extent, we have a huge advantage. And the huge advantage is we don't know any better, right? We don't. So, so we've just laid out a three-year plan for the company that essentially doubles us in size from here. And, the, and I think part of the reason we can do that is because we don't know any better. Like we don't know how the other people do it, how, how it's supposed to be done, how it's supposed to work, right? So, so, um, so we just go and, and do it. I think another really big advantage is that, that we're in the Midwest, you know, and, and being in the Midwest, 
means that people are just a little bit friendlier and a little bit less, you know, a, just a, a time. I mean, my experience of our organization is that they, that people are fairly thoughtful and kind and, and data driven and they, they, you know, they talk things through and they're very collaborative, very collaborative. And so a little less siloed which really does help when you're trying to move a lot of parts, which is what growth is going to entail, is moving a fair number of parts, right? It was extraordinary when I came to your building and, you know, people showed me around and took me to different departments and introduced me to different people. The That feeling of camaraderie between people was, you know, and a sense of community was tangible. You know, it was, it, you really felt it. Yeah, it's really alive, isn't yeah. it? Like it's a thing, yeah. right? I mean, it's just, it's, and what's been interesting is how to translate that during COVID, right, to a virtual world, right? How do you translate? How do you make that work? And I think there's more to be learned there. There's more to explore. Like, you know, can you have Zoom fatigue? How do we combat it? How do we help people to get, you know, even more connected, you know, what more, are there tools we can use? Are there more tools we can use? So, so all of that. And so for authors, what can they learn from, from your approach? You know, so say for example, sort of business owners who write books, um, and to, in order to share their expertise and help build their brand through, you know, so it's sort of almost coming at it from a kind of sort of different way around, very similar to actually how, how you've worked with, as being marketing led. So increasingly authors are thinking that way too. Absolutely. I think authors should be really looking at what is it that they need to get out into the world, but actually what's making a difference for them? Like what is it that that people are responding to with 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 their brand or with their service? Um and and sometimes I see I I do think Lou that Old style marketing, the stuff we used to, we taught in school, doesn't work at all anymore. I think, I think people are smarter than that. I think they, I think they want an authentic moment with you. They want to actually understand what it is that, how you can make a difference for them or how you're making a difference in the world. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about it in terms of, you know, what problem are you solving or what need are you serving? Exactly. And I, and I do think that, you know, for us, books change lives, which is the mission statement that we, that is essential to, to our organization, um, is really about help, both publishing the books that make a difference for people, but also making sure that we get them into the marketplace and get them into the world, right? Because it's, it's as lovely as it is to publish a book that only two people read. It actually doesn't do the job that the author wants it to do usually. Now I have met authors for whom if they're the right two people, that's, that's good enough. But in general, when I'm working with authors, they have a view, you know, so for example, I, you know, I, we signed an author a couple months ago. And, and, you know, I remember getting on the phone with her and on Zoom with her, I should say. And I said to her, so what is it you actually want? And she said, Dom, I want world domination. I want to be everywhere. 
I want to be everywhere, read by everybody. I want, you know, I want complete world domination. That's what I'm looking for. I was like, okay, that's very clear. I understand that. (laughs) I know what that is, right? And so what's your vision for the future, both in terms of source books and books? Well, look, I'm incredibly excited, incredibly and relieved, both excited and relieved that books have made a tangible difference in people's lives during this very, very challenging time. That is extraordinary news. I mean, just, I thought for sure they were just going to, you know, stream their hearts away. Um, the fact that that people are reading more and that they're reading fiction is like incredible, right? I mean, that, that tells you, because because honestly, story, if they're looking for story in books, well, that's a future, right? I mean, that's a future that our our world can walk into. <laughs> so I'm incredibly excited about that. I'm incredibly excited about what's possible for source books. When I started source books, I knew nothing about publishing. I knew nothing about how to run pub- a publishing company. But the today, there is more opportunity for source books and for books in general. You know, here's some things that that your readers will not believe, but I'm telling you, okay? Physical books are up. Ebooks are up. Audiobooks are up. So guess what? No surprise, books are up. People are finding, finding their way to lots and lots of different kinds of books. There's Growth in adult nonfiction, where where political books, as you might expect, have been um, have been very strong. There's great growth coming out of of the young adult and teen book community, um, where TikTokers are making a huge difference, right? With BookTok, um, and uh, and are turning um, whole new creating whole new reading communities around really searing emotional storytelling. It's, this is such a great time to be in books. So yeah, I'm really grateful that I get a chance to do this. That's such a fantastically exciting and, and hopeful view for the future, yeah. isn't it? So with everything that you've learned, everything, all the challenges that you've been through in in building source books with everything that you see on the journeys of authors how do you define courage i think there there's a couple of pieces to this but in the end i would define courage as as that very prosaic you know feel the fear and do it anyway my coach one my my first coach tim tim Orsini, um, who was an ex- who still is alive he's a great guy and an extraordinary coach. I remember him saying to me, Dominique, the real difference between you and everyone else that I coach is that that you are absolutely terrified and you will go ahead and do it in any case. And he said, and he said, and I just don't see a lot of people doing that. And over and over and over again, I think I have I have walked into places that I found absolutely terrifying, only to discover that 
it was all okay. It, it all kind of worked out. It was, you know, so I would, I would say to your listeners, that moment, that moment when you are at your, when you have your greatest doubt or your greatest fear, in that moment is the opportunity to create your biggest dream. I have been so surprised at how my life has turned out. It's been such a gift to me, um, working with authors like you, with, you know, just an extraordinary array of authors that, that, I mean, it's just been an incredible life and still is, by the way, I'm not going anywhere. Um, but I mean, it's just been just this amazing life. And <laughs> I would say courage, it, it really is about you know, in that moment when you really want to sit down and just kind of huddle up and, and stop, it's taking that next step. You don't have to go all the way to the end of the road. Just take that next step. Thank you so much, Dominique, for being a leading light in the wonderful community of books that help change lives and enlighten souls. Thank you for recognizing that every book is personal and every author's voice has its place and for knowing when to hold up a book and gift it to the world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Lou. That was, this was so um, extraordinarily um, personal and, and appreciated. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Dominique, for showing us that even as we grow, we can stay true to our mission, and then even if we don't know the way ahead, we can forge our path anyway. You can find out more about Dominique's work on www.sourcebooks.com and follow her on Instagram at Drucker2. Thanks to Silk Studios for producing and sourcing the guests for the show, and thanks to you all for listening. Take care, choose courage, and see you next week.